Welcome inside the Locked On Senators podcast. I'm Ross Levitan alongside Brandon Piller, recapping what was a night of upsets in the NHL play-in series, and two of the league's biggest stars are on the brink of elimination. All that and sends abroad. This is the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day. Thursday, August 6th, Pilsy, Connor McDavid, and Sidney Crosby are up against elimination. Yeah, Ross, we did not think this was going to happen. Certainly, I didn't think this was going to happen. I thought the Oilers and Penguins would control this series kind of the whole time, and the Blackhawks and Montreal Canadiens would be constantly trying to play catch-up. But when you look at and I'm going to highlight two guys quickly. We can get into it um, later on. But Jonathan Taves has been an absolute rock for those Blackhawks. And remember when Carey Price was easily the best goaltender in the world a couple of years ago? Well, he's showing shades of that for sure, especially last night, keeping his team in the game there for sure. So both these teams could do it. I still think Chicago has a better chance of closing us out than Montreal does. But Man, when you're looking at a best-of-five series, you don't have a lot of uh, chance for mistakes. So it's going to be tough for the Oilers and the uh, Penguins to get back on track here. Let's start in chronological order. The Pittsburgh Penguins up 3-1 against Montreal. How did the Habs get themselves back into that game? Just persistence. And Carey Price had to make a lot of good saves. When I was watching that game and the Penguins went up 3-1, I thought it was over in my mind. Like, maybe Montreal scores another one, but Pittsburgh's going to pull away here. And Montreal, to their credit, they grinded. They worked hard, and they grinded, and they they tied it up with some some gritty goals. Um, Definitely the Byron goal with the wraparound on Matt Murray. That's one that I think Matt Murray would like to have back. I think he kind of lost his balance because Byron takes two kind of whacks at it. The first one, he does the initial wraparound, and Murray gets his pad on it. But then as he's falling, Byron gets another tap at it, and Murray's out of position there, and he loses it. And Ross, we know this move. When a goalie's pissed and he wishes he had that one back, you take the puck and throw it out of the net as soon as you can in anger. And that's what Murray did there. Tough one for sure. But Ross, let's get to the Petrie goal, that game winner. And we were talking about it off air before we started. I actually thought live, as the play was happening, I thought Murray had had that played very well. Because he needed to be a little bit over. Because there's not... Petrie's only choice there was to chuck it in front of the net and hope for the best. Or try to get one of the hardest shots in hockey. And that's in between the head and the corner of the post. And he got it. So I don't blame Murray there. But Petrie, what a, what a shot. What a snipe from the defenseman. Yeah, not taking away anything from Jeff Petrie, who's been great this whole series. But if I'm Matt Murray, yeah, you have to be aware of the centering pass. But why, when the play is that far in front of you, why are you in your reverse VH or down on your knees at all? If you're standing up, there is no space between there. So I thought he was in a good enough position, and, and the defenseman had the guys in front of the net tied up enough that he could react off his post from his feet, maybe a little sliding butterfly, or even if he had time, if Petrie centered it, he could even T-push and be square to the shooter and up on his feet. So my only qualm with, with Matt Murray on that play is being down so early. Be aggressive. Be able to stand up. Stay on your feet and then read and react. I thought that he was a little conservative, I think was the way that 
that you can describe it. Although it is a low percentage shot, and credit to Petrie for putting it exactly where it needed to be, I thought that Matt Murray could have played that a lot better. And for me, I don't know, to that compounded with the wraparound goal that you mentioned that made Murray mad. I don't think that Mike Sullivan has anything to lose going with Tristan Jerry. Would you go back to Matt Murray in Game 4? If you're Mike Sullivan, this is old hat for you. How many times has he had a number one starting guy and this guy's going to take him to the Stanley Cup and win it all and then you switch halfway or even farther through due to injuries or um, personal preference and style of play? If you're Sullivan, yeah, you got nothing to lose here, especially with how hot Tristan Jari was coming into this play-in series here. And I just want to go quickly back to that Petrie goal because, like you said, maybe Murray could have played that differently. But I think he's kind of making a calculated risk in his head being like, look, the only way Petrie's scoring from a shot here is if he tucks it in with the perfect shot. He's a defenseman. He's not known for having an absolute snipe like that. Mind you, Petrie's a very good defenseman. Again, not trying to take anything away from it. But I think he's more worried about that puck getting thrown across and deflected in and having low tips and deflections bounce around. And I think that's why he's trying to stay low. He made a calculated risk there, and he and he calculated it wrong, clearly. So I think definitely if you're Sullivan, you're tapping Yari and saying, you're going to take us the rest of the way, kid. It's going to be easier for Price as well, just in terms of the D in front of him. Is Jack Johnson, and credit to Brochensky on Twitter, coming up with this tweet, is Jack Johnson an American Cody Cece? It seems like every time this guy touches the puck, there's either a turnover or a chance against. Man, I don't want to rag too hard on Jack Johnson. We all know. Uh, How about that ricochet shot for Cody Cece, too? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not too hard to ricochet them uh, on the Locked On Senators podcast. Usually if there's a ricochet, Cody Cece is going to be one of the guys catching them. But or I, Duchesne and Turris, that double deflection. Yeah, well, that's that's literally a ricochet. They're well, we'll, get there. to, we'll get to old Dutchie soon here, but let's stick on the Penguins-Montreal uh, game. Yeah, Ross, uh, the game of hockey not looking so good for Jack Johnson there. Dash three, and it's tough when you're on this Pittsburgh Penguins team. This is a team that often they don't rely on their decor. We, we remember when they won that cup with uh, a shell of a decor, really, on the back end there. So they don't need that, but they're going to need a lot more out of Jack Johnson here because you can't, you can't be giving up. You can't be a dash three in a best of five series as one of the top defensemen in Pittsburgh, especially on a Montreal team that really like struggles scoring. So if you can play better defensively, you can smother these guys and then hand it over to the offense of Crosby, Malkin, Zucker, Gensel, Hornfist. Like these guys can score. They just need to keep the puck out of their net a little bit better here. Yeah, a pair of Montreal's goals came from the back end as well, supplying part of their offense as guys like Gallagher, Domi, and Tatar were all held off the score sheet. And I want to touch on three of those defensemen. Shea Weber, three-point night. He's exactly as advertised. And credit to Marc Bergevin, not a popular trade, but by all accounts, that's a trade the Montreal Canadiens won getting Shea Weber for Subban. He was a beast, but a more unheralded name. Of course, Petrie, the second guy, we already spoke about him. But how about Ben Sherratt? He was just like a throwaway top six guy, maybe in and out of the lineup in Winnipeg. That guy had two assists, plus four in 23 minutes, and had four hits. Talk about affecting the game at both ends. And that rub out, I don't know who he hit, but behind the the Montreal net, that's a a tempo-setting hit. 
Yeah, Sherrod has had a good year. Uh, he got the OT winner in one of the games against the Sens. That's that's what I recall when you bring him up. And Does he I almost think, remind you style-wise of like a Mark Mathot? Yeah, a little bit, um, definitely, because he's a guy that you can put him on a pairing with kind of a more offensive defenseman, and he's going to keep the ship steady. He's going to make sure he's got his guy. He's going to make sure he's always hanging a little bit back, anticipating maybe a pinch. And I think Sherratt was a big reason why the Montreal Canadiens were able to flip Scandella. Scandella, he got flipped around quite a bit, and if you're the Sabres, you're a little sour with how things went. But I think they were looking for Scandella to be in their top six decor. But with Sherrod playing the way he he is, and Victor uh, Mete being a good guy back there, they didn't need him. So k- kudos to Sherrod, and <laughs> did not think we'd be talking about a Montreal decor being a big reason why they're still in this. No, what we can boil it down to also Carey Price, of course, playing at his highest level, is the physicality in this series has been all Montreal. Shots on goal pretty even. Pittsburgh with a 33-31 edge, but in hits, Montreal 39-23, to just taking it to them physically. Kakanyemi, sick vision, actually sick physicality. Five hits for him, Dale Weiss, and Philip Deneau, uh, who was 59% in the faceoff circle. Yeah, and I think, Ross, this is where you get into a case of the like the old seating, where it's one versus eight. This is where you get into a case where you've got teams that maybe feel a little bit of an entitlement and maybe think that, hey, we can we can boost on our offense here. We don't have to worry about playing too hard. And then you've got a team like Montreal who cannot just rest and hope that uh, a game breaker is going to win these games for them. They have to be playing hard, physical, aggressively forechecking and backchecking. And that's what they're doing, playing physical. We know the Montreal Canadiens, the past dead three deadlines, all they've been doing is trading for more physical players. I think they finally have their, their crew of guys. They're not getting 10 fourth-line players next deadline. So... They've got the power now. They just need to stick to their game plan and slowly smother this Pittsburgh Penguins team. I don't think we're going to see a Montreal puck line happen. I think it's going to be all one-goal games if they do win. So they're going to have to keep these games tight and keep playing physical. So the Pittsburgh Penguins and Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, are on the brink of elimination, as are the two superstars in the host city out west, Leon Drysaddle and Connor McDavid. Before we tell you about last night's game, where they both got on the score sheet, but Edmonton still found a way to lose, we got to tell you about Rock Auto. You know it as the family business that sells auto parts online, and you know their history. They've been doing it for 20 years. All you got to do, just go to rockauto.com, and you can shop for auto and body parts from hundreds, hundreds of manufacturers. Sounds like a lot, but the way that it's set up on the rockauto.com catalog, it's so remarkably easy to navigate. It's unique, and you can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. And that's about everything. If you're looking for engine control modules or brake parts or tail lamps, even motor oil or new carpet and for your classic or daily driver you can get everything you need in just a few easy clicks at rockauto.com and it's delivered directly to your door best of all prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers why spend up to twice as much for the same parts 
I'm saying it slowly so you understand how ridiculous that sounds. Just go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. All we ask, just when you're logging out in the checkout, you'll see a box. It says, how did you hear about us? Write locked on in that box. That's locked on in the how did you hear about us box at rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. That's rockauto.com. Dot com. Okay, so that bum Connor McDavid didn't get two goals in the game for the first time in the series. Got one. Drysidle had a pair. They're up a goal with five minutes left. How did that game slip away from the Oilers? Well, you, you said it there. They're relying just too much on those top guys. And this has been the story, it seems, since Connor McDavid and Drysidle got there. And I thought this was going to be a playoffs where they had enough depth. You know, they added a fantasy U, you got Neil, you got Ennis, who we'll get to later. So they had some of these depth pieces to help out, but they just hasn't been working. And they've been relying on their power play too much here, Ross. Like, they've got 13 goals, five of them on the power play. So almost half there. So if the Blackhawks are being much more responsible and disciplined and keeping these Oilers on five on five and not letting McDavid and Drysaddle feast on the power play, they're going to do a good job. And I mentioned Jonathan Taves with two goals, <laughs> not really uh, your goal scorer sniper goals there, but getting it done and getting the puck across the line there. So that's what, that's the difference there. Jonathan Taves getting two goals tonight or last two, Well, two goals and that face-off win with, was huge on on his final goal with under a minute and a half left in the game. And I thought Kevin Biesca made a great point on the post-game show. The Oilers are missing a right-shot centerman who can take defensive zone draws because Jonathan Taves is having his way in the face-off circle against the Edmonton Oilers. And... Also, I tweeted out that picture of Michael Jordan, you know, the meme where it says, and I take that personally. You don't think he took it personally, all the talk going into the series about the other captain? Like, Jonathan Taves is still a heck of a hockey player, and he proved that tonight. Absolutely. And we, we went into this series being like, what's Patty Kane going to do? Patty Kane's going to have to uh, be the guy. And Jonathan Taves just took it upon himself to do that. I haven't noticed a whole lot of Patty King. Like when he's out there, you've got your eye on him, but I don't think he's been like lights out or anything. Um, another guy I've been pretty impressed with, I think Duncan Keith has kind of really lived up to his old kind of reputation, especially he was talking on Spit and Chicklets uh, the other episode, and he was saying that when he was getting less ice time uh, with Gustafson and other guys getting kind of more favor from the coach, he wasn't able to play at his game. Now that he's back in that top pairing and he's playing like over 23 minutes a night, he's consistent and he can get into the flow of the game that he's used to as a veteran who's who's been to the cup finals and won many cups. So he's got the experience and he's a guy that I think the Blackhawks are going to lean on and he's going to try to steady the ship and get that one more win to eliminate these young guys and show them the Chicago Blackhawks dynasty, while they may not be the top cup contenders anymore, I don't think you can just erase them off the, the face of the earth here. So physicality, there there has been that in this series, but outside of the crazy physicality, I think it was 2012, yeah, with uh, Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, other than, than the craziness of the, the Crosby-Giroux beef and, and all that, do you see a lot of similarities in, between those series? High scoring, 
tough goaltending and not a lot of structure, a bit of a pond hockey feel to it. Yeah, and, and that's why this series is exciting. Like, uh, both these teams are scoring goals left, right, and center. And the funny thing is, they both have 13 goals. 13 goals for, 13 goals against. So this has really been a pretty even series, and it's been run-and-gun hockey. I think this is one of the series where you're confident enough where you're not looking at all the unders that hit in uh, the exhibition games, and you're saying these are some games that we're going to bank on that over because life is just too short to be betting the under, guys. One more note before we get into our sends abroad. I mentioned Jonathan Taves' dominance in the face-off circle. Well, he's taken the second most face-offs out of anybody in the uh, NHL so far in the return to play. At even strength, he's 65.9% on 78 face-offs. And in the offensive zone, he's winning 64.5%. Maybe Ken Holland chose the wrong senator to pursue. How good would Pajot look in a defensive role there? Really right shot, great in the in the face-off circle. He's a guy who I think the Oilers could really use right now and maybe even make it a twofer because Tyler Ennis and Pajot played a little bit together this year, and there was a scary moment in that game with Tyler Ennis. Kirby Doc is just such a big, big guy. Like, I watched that replay a couple times, and... It's like like they should have the Jaws music playing as he's approaching Ennis. Ennis is just a little minnow uh, with his back faced up. Uh, and weird, just... weird time to turn around. I don't know if he was protecting the puck or trying to brace for the hit, but he, he went like it was just an awkward way to turn. Well, I, I think that's because like Doc, like he's just gliding in there. Like he's not really striding. So he's not making a lot of noise. Like I said, like they should have the jaws music for him because it was slowly approaching. And I think that's just Ennis being like, like doing a quick check. Like, Oh, I swear. Like he was, he was on this side of me. And then as he's doing that check, boom, crunched right into the boards. And that's so unfortunate, especially Ennis has just taken a beating in this series. Kajula uh, with that hit to the head in game one. And he's kind of a smaller guy who also had some injury troubles. This is kind of the the renaissance of Tyler Ennis' career after those rough Minnesota days. And I don't know how much of these big, heavy hits a little guy like that can take. So I don't think we're going to see him in the game tonight. Hopefully he gets better if the Oilers tie this up for game five. But that's a tough loss for this Oilers team who we just talked about is really, really, really needing some depth scoring here. Still no update on Tyler Ennis as of noon, which is when we're recording here Thursday, August 6th. It's tomorrow, Pilsy. We got back-to-back where we've got Pittsburgh, Montreal, and then Edmonton and Chicago, which is going to be a great afternoon. I think that finally the Oilers are playing prime time on the East Coast because these games are too good to hide at 10.30. One of them is 10.40 at night. Which is wild. You know what's even crazier than that, though? Matt Duchesne. Like, literally the most uber-disappointed guy in the NHL. Has to be. He's a dash four. He's got one point in three games. And yesterday, it didn't even look like Nashville was in the game against Arizona. Sure, they started strong. They had the game's first ten shots. I bet the Coyotes score first. They score on their first shot. Thank you for coming out. In my pocket. Got the money line on that one, too. But I think that the Preds are toast. I think the Preds are toast, too. Like, they were dominating. Dominating that first period. Like, the Coyotes had no business being ahead uh, or being in this game, let alone being ahead. And then it was like the Coyotes just took the air out of their balloon. Like, they just, they said, 
the Preds were like, we gave the Coyotes everything we had first period and it didn't work. Like, we're done. And this is another team, Rick Tockett. I'm a big fan of Rick Tockett as a coach who, yes, they have Taylor Hall, who can be considered a brain uh, <laughs> game breaker, but they really play by committee. Like, you got guys like uh, Connor Garland, Lawson Krauss, uh, Clayton Keller. Like, you have guys all around this lineup that can can put the puck in the net at any given time. Phil Kessel, I think, has really turned it on after a disappointing season. And that decor is strong. Like, Hjalmarsson, we talked about the Chicago dynasty, that he was a big part of it. Goligoski, uh, Ekman Larson, like, they've got a lot of guys in that back end. And if Darcy Kemper can keep his kind of head straight and focused, he's an incredible goalie. And with those Kachina jerseys, I don't think you can stop the, the Yotes if you're the Preds. No, the Kachina jersey was the ultimate, like... Oh, okay. They're here to play. But I want to get back to Sens Abroad style. We're tweeting this out on, at Sens Central. I, I'm really curious about your answer to this. Which Sens Abroad, including their contract, would you rather still be in Ottawa? Matthew Shane with seven years remaining at $8 million or Kyle Turris with five years remaining at $6 million? Do Shane, no question. Sure, he's cursed and the playoffs are not going well for him, but the explosiveness and the way this guy performed in Ottawa. And if you're a Sens fan and you're you think like, oh, Duchesne kind of ruined it all, or he wasn't even that good, like what a waste, blah, blah, blah. Check the stats, bud. Like, he was almost a point per game guy on a terrible, terrible team. And like he was doing everything he could. I think if Ottawa, if Duchesne comes to Ottawa at the right time when they're a serious team. I think he stays there and flourishes. I think uh, he's a Halliburton guy. I think being close to home really struck a chord with him, and he liked that. But a lot of people thought, Duchesne, he's a country singer guy. Did, he loves did you playing. just do that on purpose? Struck a chord? <laughs> no, I didn't do that on purpose. Good catch. He struck a chord with him, and he tried to strike a couple of chords in Nashville with his guitar, and he thought it'd be the perfect place for him. Not working out. Um, and really, I think Turris, that's that's tough. I don't know what, what happens. Uh, I think maybe you just lose a bit of confidence and then it's all downhill from there. But to answer your question, I'm taking Dutchie over Turris uh, all, all day here. Well, at least Duchesne is on the score sheet once because Kyle Turris has no points and is a dash three in three games. You can always go to Send Central every morning and we're going to tweet out the updated Sends Abroad scoring leaders. No surprise that Mark Stone is still second, and he's only played one game. But Mike Hoffman, big game yesterday, goal and an assist. He's moved into first place with four points in three games. Of course, we'll be continuing our coverage, and we're going to get to the results of that poll next time. So go have your vote. Duchesne or Turris with the contract they have right now, and we'll let you know in our next episode what that is. For Brandon Piller, I'm Ross Levitan. This has been the Locked On Senators podcast, where we've got your team every day.